Hello? He says, question mark. Hello, Internet. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but uh, uh, we're pretending that we have music. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. I don't know if you can hear me or not. I'm not a computer technician. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Tonight we have the illustrious Tim Brown with us. Hello, Tim. Hello. <laughs> How are you tonight? I'm pretty good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, hello, Sen. Hello. <clears throat> yeah, something weird just happened to our music. I don't know. No, it's okay. <laughs> That's okay. It happens. Tonight, we're going from the Great White North all the way to the Great Down Under and New Zealand. <laughs> 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 yes, we are. We're, we're going to bring you guys a couple designers from... Parts unknown, no, from uh, Australia and New Zealand tonight. Uh, Kim Brivak is from Australia, and he's the designer of Monstrous. And Shem Phillips is from New Zealand, and he is the designer of one of Tyler's most favorite games as of late. Which what, what do you call it? Uh, awesomeness? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and uh, other than that game, because I know you've been playing that game quite a bit lately, what have you been messing around with lately there, Um, I, just today, I got a game from Finland called Clask. Oh, can we sing, can we sing the Finland song? Do you know the Finland song? (laughs) Finland, Finland, Finland. There you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finland, Finland, Finland. Okay, good. Somebody knows it. It's like a magnetic uh, table hockey, Mm -hmm. so that was really cool. Um, and I got some uh, games from Taiwan. One is a spin-off of Werewolf that looks really interesting. Um, and the other one... It's, well, um, unlike regular Werewolf where you're voting and you know people are going to die, uh, everyone has their animals, and you're either going to hide in the woods or hide in the barn. People reveal where they're going to hide, and then whichever one has the most you vote one of those people to the other side. If you get caught with a wolf, you die. If you're not with a wolf, you live, but every animal has abilities as well. It it looks really cool. It's like two rooms and a boom without having to have two rooms. Exactly. That's interesting. Two barns instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Two barns and a wolf. Something like that. How about you, Tim? What have you been working on lately? Uh, I have a, a... Uh, almost a micro game. It started as a micro game. It's getting a little bit bigger. Uh, it's I'm calling calling it Widgets right now, and uh, I've been working on the scoring system for that. Okay. Uh, I've also been making up some some uh, nicer cards for the for the uh, for the set. So yeah, I, you... uh, I t- took that to Snakes last week or on Monday. Okay. Do you always make nice cards for things or? Once, it, once the design gets to a point where I feel like it might actually get published, I, I work a little harder on, on the, uh, the graphics for it. Good. All right. Um, Tyler, what else has been going on with you? Um, I recently got a job with Canada Post. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so you'll be cool. delivering my Kickstarters. Awesome. <laughs> well, I will be sorting. I just work in the sorting facility. So as soon as I mentioned this, people were like, oh, we can get good rates to ship you our games. And I'm like, yeah, I can't control that. <laughs> I don't control the entire Canadian government. Exactly. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see, what have I been playing lately? So I've gotten... I got a couple... Kickstarters today, I got Orleans, the deluxe edition from Tasty Minstrel Games, 
and uh, Andy Van Zant's little game that came with that, which is uh, Button Vikings. More Vikings! Um, and then this weekend I actually just played some old games. I played Caesar and Cleopatra, which is an old two-player game in the uh, old Cosmos line, which was quite fun to play. I played Yistari. Oh, no, uh, Yis, uh, which is from Yistari, um, which is really neat to play because I've played it, you know, many, many moons ago, and the game is about 15-odd years old, and it is still really interesting. There's a lot of neat decisions you have to make. So you, it goes with these, uh, you have workers that you place, um, maybe not really workers because they don't, they don't stop anybody from placing in the same area. But when you place them, you have to place one face up and one face down in terms of their value. And those values then get revealed over time. And you can have like majorities in certain areas, and those majorities win you different things. And the scoring mechanism is kind of cool because it's not who has the most, it's who has the relative most of certain things. And uh, you, there's a marketplace that you can um, play with the value of. So I really enjoyed playing with that because that was one that we haven't played in a while. Uh, and it's nice to go back to some of the old ones and see if they've actually stood the test of time. <clears throat> we played Noir as well, which was a level 99 game, and it's pretty fun. So yeah, I had, I've been working on those, and this week I have to get my Outlanders prototype play tested because that's important. And I've been playing Godzilla online with uh, the designer, well, with the publisher from Toy Vault. So. That's what I've been doing. But you know what? We've got some guests coming up, so let's talk about our guests. We have coming to us live from down under. We have Kim right there, and we have our other new friend, Shem. There's Kim and Shem. So, <laughs> Kim, what's, what's, what's up? Uh, well, um, summertime here. It's... Uh very, very good season. We've just come out the back of uh, PAX Australia, which is probably the biggest uh, event going on in Australia for tabletop games. As you guys would know, PAX has uh, a, a lot of people attending, and the board game scene there is massive, much, much bigger than anything else in Australia. So we had about 1,500 people at any given time just packing the rooms, playing board games. Uh, I was there representing my new job, which is as a publisher for a tabletop games company called Good Games Publishing, and I was looking at a whole lot of designs, submissions, and meeting people, and doing that kind of thing, so that was really cool. Um, so I'm in the process now of looking at a whole bunch of submissions, and working on things, and developing a few games, and trying to come to cozy arrangements with people, which is great fun. Excellent. And Shem, what about you? What are you up to lately? Uh, lots of playtesting is what I've been doing lately, and just uh, fulfilling Kickstarters and going to our local little conventions we have in New Zealand. It's um, about it, really. Yeah. Excellent. So let's start off the questioning. Uh, Tyler, why don't you ask a question to our new friends from the other side of the earth? We actually have a question from the audience already. They would like to know, what is tomorrow like? That's coming from Sir Bob, because you guys are ahead of us. <laughs> You go first, Sham. You're, you're further ahead. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Uh, it was good. Yes, yeah, good day. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, no, my question is, um, uh, how long have you uh, both been in the industry? Um, I've played both uh, both your games. Uh, I've played uh, Raiders of the North Sea, which I love, and I've played Monstrous, uh, which I loved as well. Um, 
Are those your first big intros into the game world, or or how did you start down the path? You go, Shep. Uh, and I started, I think it's seven or eight years ago, uh, just because I had one game. I didn't know much about the board game community at all, probably nothing about it really, um, just growing up playing you know, classic games. And I had one game that I wanted to publish, so I set out to publish it. And then from there I just keep doing that, making my own games, publishing them. <coughs> and then, how long has it been? A year and a half since Kickstarter came to New Zealand? Um, and that really was what sort of boosted me in the in the industry, really. Because um, unless you're getting picked up by a big publisher in New Zealand, you're not really going to get your games out to the to America and Europe, really. Um, so yeah, it's it's yeah. So the first five years was just me doing my own little games, little almost like kit set versions of the games, and then the last couple of years have been on a massive scale, with, thanks to Kickstarter and and all that. Kim, what about you? Uh, I've been designing games for about four years now, um, but the scene in Australia in terms of trying to get games published from Australia is really, really limited, and, and really Kickstarter's opened that up. There haven't really been any publishers in Australia since, uh, well, until until quite recently. So Kickstarter's been a big enabler for us in terms of just um, being able to overcome that barrier of not being able to pitch publishers directly at conventions and stuff without flying, you know, paying 5000 bucks to go to a 10-minute pitch session at the convention. So now we're able to basically get our own act together. And um, Monstrous was actually about the third game I've designed, and it was one where after studying Kickstarter for a long time, I, I had to make some hard choices about it, it wasn't my primary game, but it was a secondary game that I had an idea for that I thought was interesting, and I thought the scale of it was fairly achievable on, on Kickstarter, but I also thought it was an opportunity to show that <laughs> games with deluxe art and really interesting themes um, mixed in with unusual mechanics could, could be made to fly on Kickstarter, where perhaps in a normal publishing model, you might not have had as much luck getting something like that to fly. So, um, you know, we had a successful Kickstarter with about 1,200 backers and uh, covered a lot, uh, a lot of our costs, and um, I'm very happy with that's coming along, and that'll be out in sort of global distribution early next year. So uh, what we're really trying to do is use Kickstarter to leapfrog into uh, Australian games into a global stage. And um, that's where I'm at. More risky in terms of just the financial investment and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that'll, that'll come down the track. OK, great. Uh, Tim, you have questions? Uh, yeah, I was wondering, uh, Kim, you were saying um, that you had uh, two different things that you were working on together, and, and one of them was uh, sticking out ahead of the other. Uh, and so, Go ahead. Oh, no, no, that's, it's all you. It's all me? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, just wondering, you, you, you were saying you had two, two, design, uh, two designs that you were working on, and one of them uh, was in the background, and, and, and then you went and did this one. Uh, what made you push the other one back? It's the scale of it, really. I'm looking at what's feasible on Kickstarter and what's not. I think uh, there's a, a whole bunch of ecosystem things around Kickstarter that mean that there's a certain amount of uh, there's a certain attitude with Kickstarter backers around what's feasible and what's achievable. Even though in theory Kickstarter should be a platform where anything is feasible or achievable if the pitch is good enough, there are, are these kind of fundamental things about whether well, you're a first-time project creator 
you shouldn't expect to get this more than 500 backers, you shouldn't expect to get this or that. Um, they're kind of realistic and they're sort of talked about within the Kickstarter community, but they're, they're also in, in some ways false constraints that people enable themselves to believe and, and then become self-fulfilling prophecies. But with my other game, it's a much larger combative deck builder game. Um, I guess, you know, CCG style, but not collectible at all. At all, it's just a, a big game in a box that feels like a big magic draft, but it's direct head-to-head -head, uh, combative game like Magic: The Gathering or a Game of Thrones card game. But it, it needed fundamentally about 150 to 180 pieces of art. And if you've seen Monstrous, you know that I like my art. Um, yeah, Martin, and, the art and just, is great in Monstrous. Yeah, so the, the vision I have of games is these deeply thematic, um, very, very immersive games that, that the look and feel of the games draws you into the gameplay space and we explore that space. And that's what I'll probably always design those kind of games. And fundamentally, the, the costs to cover that art in a Kickstarter campaign and invest that up front, I didn't have enough money myself to pay for a lot of that. And I didn't think that Kickstarter would would swallow that as a first pitch. So Monstrous was my first pitch, which was uh, um, the deluxe art that I wanted, but a much smaller volume of it. So I'm able to now present the fact that we can produce a good quality game with fantastic quality art that is immersive thematically and mechanically. Um, and I think when I come to do my second game, I'll have a stronger case to say, I can do this, I can make this happen, and it's going to be a good game, and it's going to look fantastic, and it's going to be a game you want to own. So for me, it was about just getting the, the sequence of that right and, and managing the risk of going with the, the first big baby that I made and going with a smaller baby that's still pretty potent. Yeah, excellent. So uh, Serge Piero from the YouTube feed is saying Monstrous has great art and I would agree. Uh, that was one of the first things that struck at me when the Cyclops is reaching out of the box. I think uh, Tyler and I were looking at the art saying, wow, that's really cool. How'd they do that? Uh, very good. Uh, Shem, let's talk about what... Oh, there's a Monstrous box art right there. Oh, you missed it. Uh, Sorry. There we go. Yeah, hey, woo. Um, there it is. See the, the Cyclops reaching out of the box. Uh, yeah. Sham, let's talk about what's going on in New Zealand. Uh, when we were off air, you were saying that the scene there is not very big. So describe what it's like to be a game designer or even a game player in the land of sheep. <laughs> That's Australia. No. Oh. <laughs> no. We got way more sheep. Oh, do yeah, they? Yeah. And why do we always want like New Zealand lamb and things like that? It's the best. I got like, I have uh, too. Well, yeah, I, I know. I'm just saying. Although I just had lamb chops tonight, and they were from New Zealand, not Australia. They're the land of kiwi. No, well, that's true. Yes, kiwis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, it's an awesome community in New Zealand because um, obviously it's very small, so everyone knows each other and that sort of thing. Uh, we have two main sort of conventions that go on. Uh, one that's in our capital called Wellicon, that gets sort of Two to three hundred people a year. <laughs> they do the occasional sort of mini welly cons and that kind of stuff. Uh, we have War Games by the Bay, which is a, a three sort of part convention. So there's three different conventions that happen throughout the year. Okay. Um, that that's sort of hundred to two hundred people. But other than that, it's just you know small meetup groups and um, that sort of thing. Um, so the, the recently, market was, is really quite small, is what you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah, very small. And are yeah. you the are you like the only person that's designing that you know oh, of? No. no, there's lots of designers. Um, there's so there's cheeky parrot games in Auckland, um, doing more sort of family focused or just lighter games, and she's got distribution into Australia and New Zealand and abroad. 
there's you know the game Endeavour. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, Jarrett and Carl. Um, cool. Not as active, but they're still still around. Um, and there is Shilmill in Auckland as well. Um, and they're doing other Kickstarters and things like that. So there's there's a few of us, but yeah, it's definitely a small bunch. Mm-hmm. And Richard Richard Durham is 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 complaining here. Richard is saying that it's 400 to 500, not not whatever you said. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. That's what no. he's saying. I'm looking at I'm just looking at my YouTube yeah. feed. I don't know. It's just rich being rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Right. So it's it, also a good designer. So, oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. Well, yes, he's yeah, of course. Um, so he's an import. Yeah. There's a. Uh, a lot going on there that's just kind of bubbling under. That sounds like a really actually exciting place to be in a way where you're sort of riding the wave of what's happening in North America and Europe and things like that, where in Europe it's been there for, you know, the last 20 years or so has been really the the rebirth of, of board gaming, I think, anyways. I mean, um, or rebirth of board gaming here started in the 90s. Uh, and so you guys are, are coming up to that where your conventions are starting to to get the numbers and things like that. Um, Tyler? Yes, sir. Um, what questions are on your mind or on the minds of our friends on the YouTube Well, feed? speaking of uh, what you were just talking about, um, breaking through markets, um, for us as Canadians, we're always in the shadow of, oh, the U.S. has this, the U.S. has this. Unlike Sun was saying, uh, board gaming-wise, huge in Europe for many years, just last 20 years coming here. Uh, what is it like for both of you gentlemen trying to get your stuff into that U.S. market? Because we know what it's like, and we're right next door. What is it like for you guys? Uh, I haven't had much luck with distribution in, into the States, um, but then I haven't really tried too much. Uh, with Kickstarter, though, it's I think it's just as easy as if you were in the States, really, um, other than maybe you know warehousing the games yourself and be able to talk face to face to people. It's, I think, just the the age of the internet. You can kind of be anywhere in the world, really, and do this sort of thing. Okay, um, Kim. Yeah. Sorry, Kim. What do you about your impression of getting your game to market in a bigger uh, market than Australia? I really, um, I mean, the questions we're talking about the markets of our countries, and our countries are really small. So Australia is like twenty three million. New Zealand's about four million. Um, and the size of the gaming population you can imagine there. I mean, Australia is the size of California and probably got about the same number of gamers, but the, the actual domestic markets for selling games are reasonably limited. And you'll see that reflected in Kickstarter figures as well. Um, you know, if you look at any Kickstarter project, you've probably got about 3 to 5% of backers coming from Australia. Uh, New Zealand would be under 1%, and, and that would be fairly consistent across the board unless you had a local project that had a lot of local buzz. Um, but... The, the thing that Kickstarter changes is that it enables any designer from anywhere to take their game all over the place and, and have them ordered anywhere. Um, so I've sort of pioneered a, a method called the Send from China method, which is where you get your game made in China and you actually use a Chinese fulfillment company to send it globally at low cost. And this works particularly well for games that are under about 500 grams, under about half a kilogram, which means that normally on Kickstarter you have these very high kind of... Um, 
shipping fees to get a game if you're outside the US, but you get free shipping inside the US. You guys in Canada be used to that. You'd probably pay an extra 10 or 15 bucks for, for most games that you order. So part of the thing with Kickstarter is solving that problem, removing that barrier to people backing things, and that's something we've worked hard on with Monstrous and, and we'll do with all the other games that we do. So there's a few things around Kickstarter that kind of massive levelers about just getting Kickstarter games out. But Kickstarter is just the first stop for us. Our, our vision really is more about trying to get Australian games to a global retail market because you can have a 1,200 sale game on Kickstarter, 1,200 back a game on Kickstarter that can shift 20,000 units in retail once you get through to Barnes & Noble and other things. And I know of games like this. Um, and, and that's kind of our vision where we're trying to want to get is to forge these kind of international distribution relationships that can take a good Kickstarter game, a good project that has something interesting and something different about it and take it to the next level at a global retail level. So because Good Games uh, Australia has a distribution company as well, we have a lot of distribution connections back up and down the channels uh, from different distributors around the world. So we're talking with PSI, the big consolidator. We're probably talking with Alliance and a few other guys uh, in each of the key marketplaces to try and find the right distributor partnerships for us and, and we'll be taking our games through Kickstarter as well as they can be to, to kind of muscle them up as far as they can within Kickstarter and then using those distribution networks to try and get the games out to a global audience. And we're going to be looking at language localization and interesting new markets like Korea and Japan and other things as well. So we have a very remote but kind of global view on what we want to try and achieve. Obviously, we've got a few steps to get there in the first place, get some games out, get them out there, and get a, a solid reputation. But that's that's the big vision for us, is to try and shake things up and change things, because Kickstarter is just massively liberating. But it's just the first step. All right, and you had a question that you wanted to ask Shem. So why do well, you go ahead and do that? Yeah. Shem, I was going to also ask, do you guys in New Zealand have the same sense of Kickstarter being an enabler uh, to reach that global market? And, and are you thinking in the same ways that I'm thinking in terms of reaching actual retail markets as well? Yeah, it yes, definitely enables you to send worldwide. Um, like I said, coming was on your offer, um, that before, uh, before Kickstarter that I couldn't really get my games anywhere really because um, I was just doing small small um, print runs, things like that. But getting into retail is still a challenge, I think, with or without Kickstarter, because um, obviously the distributors want to buy bulk amounts of games, and you have to be able to provide them still, really. So you still need that money up front, um, whereas Kickstarter, I think, the good thing about Kickstarter is you get direct access to your customers. That's probably the best part for me. Um, so you don't have to deal with, you know, just your distributor, just your manufacturer, but you have direct access to, you know, Thousand, two thousand, or more people, um, which fr being from a small country is is just perfect, really. Cool. All right, I got a I got a question for for Kim. Uh, I actually listened to you on a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, where you were talking about your distribution, uh, or sorry, your your shipping model, uh, which is very groundbreaking and, and unique because it's the same price for anywhere in the world and that's kind of uh, an amazing thing. Um, so what I'm curious about is how did you go about finding the company that was able to do it and have so, so few problems with it that you're comfortable to, to use them? <laughs> sure. Um, well, the, look, I mean, it's probably worthwhile to recap what normally happens in a Kickstarter project. Say if you're a, a US creator, 
you're making a game in the States, you're doing all the publicity in the States. When you go to get it manufactured, nine times out of ten, you're going to be manufactured in China. And then most of your thinking is fairly US or North American centric. Um, in terms of probably 50 to 55 or even 60% of Kickstarter backers are typically likely in the board game space to come from, from the US. But um, in many projects, it's actually higher because of the barriers that are put in the way. Um, we want to remove those barriers by solving the problem, which is that US creators will make their game in China and then put it on a slow boat to the US and then ship it internationally from the US, where you have very, very high charges for shipping a game back to Australia. It made just, you know, when you live in Australia and not that far from China, it just made a lot more sense to say, why aren't people making their games in China and shipping them directly to all countries from China? Because China obviously is a massive economic powerhouse. I knew they had fulfillment companies. Lots of people in Australia order electronics equipment from China just directly, and you pay like a dollar postage for, for good quality items. So friends and I just started talking about this problem and the frustration of having uh, horrendously high international shipping fees that would often match or, or go beyond the actual cost of the game that you might want to get on Kickstarter. It's a massive, massive barrier to backing internationally. So we just started looking around and I started getting, you know, just Google a few companies and started talking to a few people. I started talking to Jamie Stegmeyer about some options because he's definitely been a, um, a pioneer in terms of trying to find and level um, shipping fees because he recognized as well that tapping into the international audience is just a bigger market that you, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, and so I eventually settled on this company called Send from China after one of the other companies we looked at just had a few communication and quality control problems. Look, Send from China are, are good, but they, they're not a games fulfillment specialist. They're a global fulfillment specialist of small products from China. Um, so we're educating them about games and the requirements of box protection, packaging, all that kind of stuff, and we're working with them, and they're very grateful for that kind of relationship. But they've so far proven to be the, the, the best and most willing to work with us in terms of trying to accommodate our needs and the needs of other creators. So at the moment, I'm aware of probably about 20 projects that have shipped out through Send from China. And as I said before, it, depending on the weight range, you can get pretty much a dollar variance no matter where you're sending it in the world. And that's just, that's really what our objective was, is to find a company that could do that. The other advantage is it's faster. You ship it from your factory probably in Shenzhen in China, and it gets delivered door to door to their factory or warehouse in Shenzhen in China, and then within a few days, probably up to a week, it's all sent out by airmail, and so people are starting to receive their games within a week of it hitting their warehouse and probably up to, on average, two weeks, and at the most about a month, which is just way, way, way faster than yeah. going by a slow boat to anywhere <laughs> and then he's so being out again. Yeah. so much sense. You, it's, it's obvious, that, you know, it, I don't know why no, somebody didn't do it before you, to be honest. It's so because obvious. Because they were <laughs> right side up instead of upside down. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We think upside down here, at, right? Looking at the earth from a different angle, right? That's right, yeah. So it, it's really neat because uh, the longest wait time is actually getting, well, it's not even getting the boat across. Sometimes it's waiting to fill a container. Because when you order games in bulk, if you don't have like the right product allotment or the right product size to fill a whole container to ship it, you're shipping air and costing the same amount of money because it's cost by container. Um, and so a lot of times publishers will gang ship together. But this makes so much more sense in a lot of ways. Um, Sham, we have a question from the audience. Dave Tomez asks, are there any specific cultural differences, say in New Zealand, that might make a game more or less appealing to your respective areas? What do you think? 
to our areas in New Zealand. Yeah. Is there, is there anything specific about the New Zealand gaming audience that would make a game better for them or worse for them? I don't think so. No. Um, no we, pretty much like everybody we, watch, we watch American <coughs> TV. You know, we, we're very absorbent of all different cultures. So, And, yeah, we're a big mix of cultures and races and all sorts. So probably not really. Uh, there's not, there's not going to be a game that appeals to Kiwis more than anyone else, I don't think. Okay. Um, I have a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a question for you, Shem. A lot of people might not know this, but uh, your uh, current game, Raiders of the North Sea, is actually part of a trilogy, uh, starting with uh, Shipwrights of the North Sea. I was wondering if you could talk to uh, how that idea came about. Was it just, did it start with one game, or was it, hey, I'm going to make three, three very different games, tie them all together? Uh, how did that come about? It started with just the one game, Shipwrights. Um, I had that game on the shelf for a while because I knew it had a lot of artwork, probably like Monstrous, where you just know it's going to take a long time to illustrate it and, and a lot of money to do it. So it just sat there for a while until Kickstarter came around, and then I just you know, just put it out there, and it did well. So I thought, why not do another one, pretty much. Um, Mato was awesome to do the artwork, and obviously he got a lot of attention from it. Um, he's now doing lots of other games, so... I thought that, you know, from a business point of view, just smart just to keep keep doing it. So, yeah, it, was, it wasn't pre-planned. <laughs> it was just reactive, totally. really. You didn't have a grand vision? You're no, not no, like, no. Not, not that like J.R.R. Tolkien or anything like that? <laughs> no. Now, now, speaking of grand visions, I'll ask you first, Kim, and then uh, Shem, if you could answer. Uh, being from that part of the world, uh, who would be your dream uh, co-designer to work with, whether from Europe or America or... Or, or, or even an yeah, artist that you'd want to work on your game. <laughs> or someone to review it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do great reviews. So, uh, well, thank you. you a lovely review of Monstrous. And they're, they're so punchy and great, so I like that. Um, my, my probably, uh, my favorite designer is probably Eric Lang. A, fi a fine I, Canadian. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually know that, but look, he's his designs are so thematic and and the the mechanics are so integrated with the theme so successfully. I find them uh, immensely satisfying. Where my my gamer group and many of my friends are uh, big fans of Eric's design, so that'll be awesome down the track some point to get to that stage. Yeah, cool. and, and you, and Shem? How about yourself, Shem? I'm yet to do a sort of a cooperative, not cooperative, but a collaboration game. So I'm not not too sure how to handle it, but as far as just like being a fanboy, probably um, Bruno Fiduti would probably be a big one. I think. Bruno's also a cool guy. He's not fr yeah. he's not Canadian though. He's <laughs> he's French. But well, actually, I, I, Eric and Eric and uh, Bruno have been working on games together too. So you're two, you're two these, guys. These gentlemen are probably more closely related to us than America because being part of the British Commonwealth and past history that uh, we're more. Australia, New Zealand than we are Americans. So. Oh, for sure, 100%. Yeah. Um, it's funny, uh, uh, Chevy Dodd, who works for Portal Games, had posted a picture the other day of a digestive biscuit. And he said, this is the first time I'm ever having a digestive biscuit. And I said, yeah, that's what happens when you go to war with England. You just don't get those digestive biscuits for the last 200 years. Where have we, we've had them forever. You guys have had yeah. them forever, too. We have, we have on sale in supermarkets. Yes, exactly. Um, <coughs> there's a couple more questions here from the audience. Let's see where they are. 
Well, that one doesn't make sense because Monstrous isn't selling yet. Oh, okay. Um, Kim, Richard Durham asks, what for you gets you excited about one of your game designs to push forward with it rather than another one? So we'll go with Kim first. Um, I've, I've really only attempted a small handful of them, and I, I tend to focus very, very heavily on one thing until I'm done with it. I, I, my other game, which at the moment is called Fellstar, is, um, is fully developed uh, and kind of ready to go. The, probably the only thing I need to do is cull it down to a more manageable size, um, but I had to kind of put that on, on standby um, for Monstrous. And so that was and more... I came up with that concept very, very quickly. Go on, that was more, that was more a, uh, uh, an economic reason to put that one on hold. Yeah, look, I, 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 yeah, it, it was. I didn't choose to put it on hold first. The idea for Monstrous came up very quickly, and the game evolved within a couple of weeks to being the fundamentals of what it is now. Uh, and so it just happened really fast, and it was so different being a dexterity, a tactical dexterity game. We combined monster powers and local location powers and stuff that... It was so different that we, we all enjoyed it very much, very quickly, and and then the vision of it being in Greek mythology and gods hurling monsters down was, it just seemed really obvious, so it just seems like something that clicked right in, and I knew I could develop it pretty quickly, and that the number of art pieces required was so much slower that I could get this going really fast, so um, development took not so long, but all the art and all the Kickstarter organization, that took a ton of time, and, and that, I learned a lot through that, and I'm still learning. Um, so for me, it wasn't a specific thing between the designs. It was more, as you're saying, about the economic realities of, of what was feasible, trying to pitch and publish a game from Australia from the end of the world, you know? Yeah. I think we have a question for one of the co-hosts. We do. Uh, one of the co-hosts tonight is a game designer, and I loved his game, Cortex. Uh, I enjoy tile games, matching, color, shapes. Uh, Tim, what are you working on next? Uh, well, I have a, a uh, well, I have a game coming out hopefully next year uh, from uh, uh, from Ad Magic. It's a uh, sort of a party game version of. Well, I don't want to say, but <laughs> uh, so it, it's it's sort of it, you have m multiple inventions. You have to try and figure out what order they're in, but the in the other games with inventions, uh, they have them very spread out and, and uh, large uh, time between them, so it's easy to figure out where they are. But these ones are, are much closer together and much. And I try to choose ones that are a little bit more obscure, but you know what they are, so you can figure out what order to to, to put them in. But not always. It's not always always obvious. Um, and uh, let's see, what else am I working? On? I got another one that's. Uh, uh, that I call widgets, which is also as an inventions uh, theme, uh, and it's more abstract, where you're you're playing something, and then depending on what someone else plays, your thing could get obsoleted and taken away. And uh, so I've been working on the scoring system for that one. Very cool, uh, Tim. About yep. the the one that uh, <laughs> the one that's going with Ad Magic, um, yeah. a. Uh, that was a kind of, that's a kind of cool story in and of itself and how it kind of got signed there. Um, just in, in how we work as a network in Canada. Um, so the Canadian designers, Tim and I are, are members of a group called the Game Artisans of Canada. And we sort of know each other's games well enough that we can pitch them for each other 
or point out, hey, this would fit really well with this other group, is there a, or this publisher. Is there anything like that going on in Australia, Kim? Uh, there's a little bit of talk about it right now. So in Australia now, there's um, there's there's a, a small group of publishers that have all pretty much started around Kickstarter, except for a couple. There's a, some guys called Grail Games. So David from Grail Games, he's actually one of the uh, Walking Harder, Harder sorry, ha uh, Walker Harding brothers. So there's Phil Walker Harding who designed Archaeology, Sushi Go, Cacao, yes. uh, and David yeah, Walker Harding. Love Cacao. Love Cacao. Sorry. Yeah. Sushi Go's awesome. Guy's a great designer. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, good stuff. And and David uh, publishes his own games and designs his own games as well. So he's got uh, 101, uh, a bunch of other games, a few which are on Kickstarter now. Um, and he runs a small publishing company. Um, but again, this is tyranny of distance thing. I think he has some reasonable distribution arrangements in the States. But um, then there's other new companies like Rule and Make who are making some really high quality Kickstarter games as well. Uh, really, really deluxe quality you should check out. It's a couple there. Rise to Power, Entropy. Got a new game they just released called Robots and Rockets. Uh, yes, another that, one Kickstarter uh, Simon did the art for that, right? That's right. So yeah. I know Sai's the designer. Oh, he's the actual. Oh, he well did both. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talented yeah, guy. So it um, sounds like you guys are getting a little network going there as well, which is, I think, where a lot of things will start. There's <laughs> a lot of networking happening, and like you guys, we don't have a guild, but we have a Facebook group that's very, very active. Uh, it's probably got about four or 500 people on it, and there's a lot of discussion on a daily basis in that group. There are uh, regular meetups. We're much more organized now about our city, you know, big city meetups that we have. Uh, and following on from PAX, where we had some, some broader, broader kind of designer industry discussions, there's another steps about setting up a website and, uh, you know, a playtesting swap group and uh, blind play testing sessions and that kind of thing. So I think following in the footsteps of what you guys have done, um, then we're probably just trying to do the same kind of thing in our own way and trying to just get more organized about how we evolve, test, market, and promote Australian games. Uh, there's another organization called Board Games Australia as well, and we're sort of working out a relationship between the more designer-oriented tabletop game designers of Australia and Board Games Australia as well, which is more about industry promotion and that kind of thing. So there's a bunch of stuff here that's being sorted out. It's really exciting times. Uh, there's a lot of good momentum going into and out of the end of PAX last month. Now the challenge is to just uh, continue that momentum and actually make things happen. So Yeah, excellent. Exciting that. Uh, Shem, i got a question for you. Uh, with you being uh, close to Australia, do you guys ever uh, go over there to, to, to bring your, your stuff uh, to them, like to their market? Um, not yet, but I, I'd really like to. Um, it's obviously the the probably the more obvious uh, first step rather than trying to rush to Essen or to whatever else. Just across the ditch is a lot easier. Um, and, all, you know, just similar scene, similar culture. Um, so that's that's something on my to-do list. Maybe maybe next year or year after, just to go over to PAX or something, and just connect up with the Aussies. Yeah, well, give us give us a call when you do that, and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll sort you out. But and you know if you need anything any help with any distribution stuff in Australia, we can help you with that as well. So sounds good. Excellent. It's a really neat vibe that I'm getting from a lot of the smaller places where it's it is really like lots of elbow grease, lots of hitting the pavement virtually, I mean, on the phone or the internet or whatever, but a lot of people doing a lot of good, solid work to get their product out because they believe in their product. 
they believe in their game, and it's a little bit different over here where the distribution is built in uh, in North America, and that is it is still the hardest thing to do is to get a distribution, of course, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm loving hearing what you guys are doing at a very grassroots level in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, do you have any questions there, Mr. Bearded Meeple? I do. Uh, just tying into what you said, um, because a lot of the gaming industry over the last, I don't know, five, six years, uh, starting up as a hobby aspect, um, small companies, you know, doing the work, doing this and this, uh, you still have your big companies doing their thing. Um, and I think once people realize, hey, we're all in this together, yes, they want to sell their product, but once they realize, you know, we're all on the same team, let's help each other out, do you guys have that synchronicity, shall we say, with small companies in Australia, or is it like, oh, every man for himself, or, oh, you're New Zealand, we got to do our stuff, like, how, what's, what's the vibe? Shem, to you. First, Shem. No, it's, it's definitely, um, the first thing is just to help each other out. There's no real bad competition or anything like that, um, you know. So it's it's a good good vibe, I think. I haven't had too much um, sort of contact with the Australian market, but with the New Zealand, it's just very, you know, good mates, good friends, just trying to help each other out, really. Yep. Are there lots of game stores in New Zealand and Australia? Not in New Zealand, no. Uh, they, we have, like, comic book stores that have games in them sometimes, um, but there's probably only, like, 15 or 20 at most of those. Otherwise, you guys, have, it's... you guys have comic book stores? Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fans yeah. <laughs> <Just exist>. yeah. <laughs> um, buying a plane ticket tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have um, the biggest sort of store is Toy World, but that's just you know, you've got your um, you know My Little Pony and all that kind of stuff all stuck in one store, and it's really a matter of who owns the store to what games get in there. Right. Some of them have no games, some have a huge collection of games, so. Because they're all individually owned, um, but then there's only really one. I think it might be two distributors within New Zealand. Um, so, but the market for New Zealand is so tiny compared to what you really need to survive. So you can't just focus on New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And how about Australia? What's the Australian uh, game store scene like? Uh, it's pretty vibrant, actually. There's a lot of pop-up stores everywhere. I think last I heard, in terms of our distribution reach, we were reaching to about 180 stores that sell tabletop games of some kind or another. And when you extend it out to the pop culture, yeah, that's prime, that good games distribution just handles oh, okay. Australia. Um, so that, then there's another shell of other stores that are starting there. I guess you'd call them uh, geek stores that sell those, you know, vinyl pops. You know, there's little character dudes plus maybe a few computer games and a few other things. So that's become popular in some of the big retail um uh, super center type places. So there's a few, and that's, and we're also looking at, you know, getting games into bookstores. So, um, you know, where there's a good crossover between a games theme and a, a sort of literary fiction, then bookstores in Australia are willing to do that. We don't really have a Barnes and Noble style network in Australia, but um, one thing that is unusual about Australia is we have, in addition, within that set of about 180 stores selling games, probably my guess is about 100 are actually dedicated game stores. Maybe I'm, I'm overreaching there, but about 20 or so are actual good game stores. So Good Games runs a bunch of stores in some of the capital cities of Australia and uh, a franchise of stores. So all up about 20 game stores, and they're really all about um, play space, 
there's board game nights, role playing nights, card game nights, like like all the good stores you'll know in Canada or the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're that kind of store, but it's a big chain of them, and uh, there's been a real commitment to kind of grow that chain and 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 help um, small people who want to set up a game store do that through the sort of franchise model if they want to, and it's backed up by distribution and that kind of thing. So the Good Games Publishing Company that I'm now the director of is is sort of an extension of that. But there's a ton of other good um, game stores around as well, and there's a lot of really vibrant design scenes within those game stores, and certainly it's not our intent to, to try and compete with anyone on those sort of grounds. It's just there's enough gamers everywhere that um, there's really no point really competing terribly with each other. Uh, and in terms of being a game publisher trying to get your game to get some sort of cut through, we just face a more insurmountable problem, which is just this massive tyranny of distance. And the bigger problem with the world being flooded by tabletop games, there's no point fighting amongst each other with that kind of thing. You may as well help each other and try and just get noticed at all. Um, so I think that's where our heads in Australia are at right now. There's a lot of collaboration, cooperation, doing whatever we can to help each other, which is it's a great feeling. All the, all the guys in the publishing scene here are... Uh, good guys and having good fun and um, helping each other out. It's a really, really good spirited feel. It's nice to hear. Tyler, you got another question. Uh, Shem, question for you about Raiders of the North Sea. Um, how did you decide, because it's not, for people that haven't played it, it's not a traditional worker placement, it's a drop-off, pick-up worker placement, but the thing that I like that's different about it too is as you progress through the board, you have to have certain requirements um, to get to that stage. So what my question is, is was that a specific, or did that specific design come through playtesting, or did you look at worker placement games and say, hey, um, there's a ton of them out there, how do I make this one different so that it can stand out in the crowd? Uh, with Raiders, I started with the theme first, so I had I had that from the start, obviously after ship rights, and then I had to make a game that makes you feel like you're raiding. That was basically the objective. Um, so I think I had five or six different games before I actually got to that that mechanic you're talking about. Um, I knew I wanted that kind of worker placement feel, and I tried the more traditional way. I tried a few ideas. I think I came up with the um, the progressive, you know, the, the different colored workers before I came up with the mechanic, I think. I'm trying to remember back a, few, a year or so ago. Um, but the, the main mechanic was just one of those kind of an idea in the middle of the night kind of thing where it just, what about that? Try that. Um, so, and from there it's just, you know, you just develop it and add new things and keep tweaking it. Um, but it was definitely one of those uh, sort of just out of the year kind of ideas really. Yeah. Well, I want At this point I want to do a shout out to Sebastian for teaching me explorers or not Explorer, sorry, uh, Shipwrights, and then a shout-out to Dave Taylor of To The Table, who showed me uh, Raiders of the North Sea at Grand Con. I absolutely loved it, and I do look forward to checking out Explorers uh, when it comes out next spring. Uh, fantastic games, by the way. Thank you. Very cool. Tim, 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 I am sensing yes. that you have a question. <laughs> Uh, Only because the chat told me so. (laughs) Right, yes. (laughs) Uh, There's a few questions from the audience, actually. Um, uh, Let's see, we got David Tome is asking, uh, what's the next big thing uh, you'd like to see happen in the gaming industry in your your respective areas? So uh, why don't we start with Shem? 
The next big thing. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I think, or well, for me, I think it's the distribution is the next big thing for me. Um, I've got, you know, I've got the games, I've got the network going on with other designers and with customers. Um, as far as the next big thing for the industry, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, actually, there's a question specifically about that uh, as well uh, from ResNet. Uh, is there any distribution point for New Zealand to get any uh, of the game stores, uh, uh, or things, or, is it, or things just too small? Sorry, uh, is there any distribution point for New for New Zealand? Like, does is there a point to have distribution in New Zealand? Um, I think there is. I mean, uh, it's just it's more the demand. Um, because of the, the community is still very small and very new, um, there's obviously not much demand for people to walk into Toy World, which is our, our main store, and say, can I get Citadels, can I get Waterdeep or whatever. Uh, that's not really there. Um, so do you guys use distributors that are, are mainly used for other things, or do you, do you use distributors that are, that are specifically uh, for No, we have specific ones. Um, Pixel Park is our main one. Um, he imports all the, the main titles and... Um, yeah, I think there's also one in Auckland, but I can't remember the name. Um, but I mean, a lot of our shopping is done online in New Zealand. We have some good web stores, and then it's just down to the local stores, really. Um, every most of the main cities have two or three, if not more, local stores. Um, you know, they have their games nights and their magic nights and all that kind of stuff. So it's for New Zealand. Just picture it as one small town or city spread right up across the whole. Bunch of islands, really. Um, <laughs> it's I, like, <laughs> I would like to go there. It sounds like fun. Um, I can I can answer a little bit about the the big thing, uh, and I reckon this would be good for New Zealand as well. It's just more presence in the states as well. I mean, you guys must feel it from Canada, but for us, uh, just organizing, having the product, and having a presence in in the U.S. convention scene was pro was probably another good thing. So, you know, as I mentioned before, we're going to try and sort out distribution things and try and get some relationships going there, but being able to have a stall of our games and possibly other games as well from Australia and New Zealand at Gen Con, which is pretty much full, so if you need um, somebody to pay for your stall, come and talk to us. Uh, we'll help that with that. Um, but look, essentially, we want to have a presence of Australian and New Zealand uh, games uh, at, at those big conventions, and we'll be at Gamma, we'll be at Gen Con, hopefully, and, and we'll try and be at Essen and, and possibly one or two others uh, next year as well. And uh, obviously, we'll be primarily promoting good games stuff, but uh, if there's anything we can do for anyone, we'll look at doing that as well. So there's a bunch of Australians talking about about that to just try and get those relationships because, um, you know, when you're in the games design and publishing scene, you do hear a lot about those personal connections that get made. Uh, and sometimes very, very important ones at those big conventions. Uh, a lot of people just, a lot of stuff happens because people know each other and meet each other and hang with each other. Uh, and when you're on the other side of the world, that is just a lot harder to happen. So we want to be there and be in that mix, and, and that's something that we really look forward to happening in 2016. Kim, that's an interesting point because uh, Richard Durham is asking you this question. How have the Aussie designers dealt with pitching to outside publishers in the past, and how is that going to change? Are you going to just self-publish continuously, or with your extended presence at conventions in the States and in Europe, are you hoping to pitch some of your games outside of your self-publishing realm? 
Yeah, I, I think we'd probably go for a mix of all of those. I mean, as I said, um, the, the isolation here has really forced the creation of these um, small publishers that are using Kickstarter to, to some success. I mean, a lot of the games that I mentioned before have had sales of up to 5,000 units and things like that, so it's not insignificant sales. Um, but we, um, in the past, have had to try and pitch to a publisher, so I've pitched to a few larger publishers that I thought my game designs were about right for and, and was asked to, you know, come to Gen Con and, and book a meeting and just couldn't afford that for a one-off meeting about something. And so the, the pipelines um, for making those kind of submissions just don't seem to be available for people outside the States because, and, and why would they be? Because you just, if you're a, a games publisher in the States, you've got 100 people flying at you in a given week with a great mm -hmm. game idea. So, you know, it's not like you want to open up that pipeline even more, I imagine. Um, so we will um, be taking game submissions in Australia, and we already have, and we looked at a lot of packs. Uh, we'll, all of the major public or the small publishers here have submission processes. But we want to try and forge those relationships with other publishers internationally so that if we do think something's interesting, we might look at publishing partnerships and relationships. And, you know, if we go to the States with a bunch of things and get a stall, you know, having people's games with us to help pitch might be something that we can do as well. We have to see how that pans out based on what we get, but uh, we'd be open to looking at that kind of thing as well. So I think things are changing where we've just had to do things ourselves, but um, we're also open to any, any sort of ideas, basically. It's all formative days for us. So. Yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of a neat thing as well, is that I think um, over the last couple of years, you've, you've probably seen this in just games in general, that there seems to be little ripe picking grounds uh, for new games. <clears throat> so for a little while, you know, there was um, Korean games coming out and Japanese games coming out. Um, and then now, now we see just kind of them more of a, a thing that's in the business as opposed to, oh my god, there's seven new games and they're all from Korea or all from Japan. Do you think that that might happen with, say, Australia or New Zealand in the future? What do you think, Shem? Is, is New Zealand going to be the next big breeding ground of the next wave of games? Uh, probably not. <laughs> That's a just, because of, just the population difference, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll always be a, a small fish in the sea. Um, but I think in comparison to, like, say, Japan and Korea, obviously there's a different language thing there, so I think most games from Australia and New Zealand will just appear like they're from the US or they're from Canada or wherever. Right. They're not going to feel too much different, I don't think. Um, because we're I not going to, unless they're all originally in Maori games, they're not going to look much different, really. Um, our cultures aren't going to rub off on the games too much. Well, speaking of that, are there any cultural things that, you know, maybe the Aboriginals uh, have a game that you could bring over to North America? Is there anything like that? What do you think? Something I'd look at but I'm not aware of anything yet. Certainly haven't yeah. met an Aboriginal game designer. Um, but, yeah, if there's something like that, we'd certainly be looking at that. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting. Not aware of anything yet, then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, Shem, have you, have you met Martin Wallace yet? Yes, yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, kind of interesting guy. that he, he picked up shop and moved everything to uh, New Zealand. But <laughs> apparently New Zealand's a wonderful place to live. It ranked very highly in the World Index. Of, of great places to live, so it's not bad. 
It's not it's, bad. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's almost as good as Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Australia was also fairly high, but I, I think Canada is still higher than both. But <laughs> even though we're cold, even though we're very very cold. Do you guys so, sell Canada Dry down there? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. That's all. You, you, that's you, all. That's all we need is Canada Dry, and we're okay. <laughs> um. So we're, we're running over time here just because we started late, but I wanted to know, and this is the last question we usually ask everybody. <coughs> okay, got that out of the way. Is what one piece of advice would you give a new designer, and let's frame this for you guys specifically. What is one piece of advice you'd give to a new designer in your country about making a splash in the industry? Let's start with Kim. Uh, first of all, you've got to make a good game that's interesting, that stands out, that people want to play. I mean, that's the fundamentals of all, all games these days. But if I think um, it can really help you to be a good contributor to the community. And so I've been doing that for four years now, and people know me from various places around the place. And I really did try and design the whole send from China method for shipping because I thought it was good for half of the world's gaming um, population that it would be a useful thing to have that running off the back of Kickstarter. Um, not that you know it's my company or anything, but just bringing that to the world. I've, it felt good to be able to do that, and and I've had a lot of people say thank you so much for finding that solution and and helping to change things up a little bit. So if you can find something or some way to contribute in a big way, um, I'd also try and find that. That'll help you get some cut through, make some friends, and and that kind of thing. And it's just good for networking and giving back to the community because most people here are kind of happy to help each other. Mm-hmm. And Shem, what about you? What's the one piece of advice you would give to other New Zealand designers? I think the key is always to get your games in front of other designers. Um, they'll be the most critical and the most honest about your design. Um, and the best way, really, would be to get along. If you don't, if you don't have a community already, just get to the Wellicon or get to the Board Games by the Bay and just rub shoulders with other designers and other gamers. Um, rather than just showing your family and friends because they'll always tell you it's a great game. So get along people who can actually contribute to it and, and make your game from a, an okay game to a great game is what you're trying to achieve, really. Um, and, yeah, just be humble and enjoy what you're doing, really. Excellent. Um, Tim, do you have any last questions for our audience or for our, our guests? Uh, well, I, I actually I, I wanted to reiterate that, that it, it's kind of nice that... Uh, that um, basically uh, the things they were saying are, are very, very much true world over. Uh, like everybody seems to be, they're really nice to everyone. Uh, there's no, there's no cutthroat side of, of this business at all, other than you know playing in the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it's really nice to see see that that, that you guys are, are in agreement about, about things like like you have to have to network. It's that's the same no matter where you are. Uh, you have to. To meet the other people around, you have to meet the people that go to conventions, uh, and yeah, that's just <laughs> that's basically all I wanted to say. So it's nice to see that the things are, are are so similar in the industry across the world. Excellent. You guys also, that the same? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's also good to see you guys doing that as well. I mean, I think Canada's really kind of led the way in terms of trying to get game designers from other countries outside the States or, the, or Europe, where most of the game design's focused, um, just being more active and more engaged and, and sort of helping to make it a more sort of a global 
uh, cultural economy. So um, kudos to you guys for really paving the way there. And I think we owe a bit of a debt of gratitude to you for that. And you've organized yourselves very Oh, it's Kim Dunn. Oh, there he is. He's back. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I think that um, you guys are now better organized than we are. And I know that uh, the, the uh, where's that group from, Tim? The one that's in the Scandinavian country? There's another group that's a, a, another game artisan group in Scandinavia that is super organized now. They, their website's awesome. I can't remember what it is, but I'll find it. Maybe of Denmark? Maybe? I don't know. Anyways, Tyler, last questions. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, gentlemen, it was nice to uh, meet you. I know you vicariously through your through your games, and it was nice to chat. Um, you've made three friends in Canada, and anyone else watching out there, if they'd like their game talked about or reviewed through Meeple Syrup or Bearded Meeple, uh, send us a message, and uh, maybe we'll see you on the channel one day. Kim and Shem, are there any last-minute things that you want to plug? Uh, probably just about Raiders. That's it came into the the California warehouse today. So as of about a week's time, they'll be shipping out from there to Canada and the US. So if you have missed out on the Kickstarter, you can go to garfield.com and grab a copy there. Can you spell that for us? G A R P H I L L. Awesome. Okay, and Kim. G or J? It's the accent. Sorry. You're awesome. Kim, is there anything that you want to plug last? Uh, if you are an Australian designer, uh, there's a fa very, very active Facebook group called Tabletop Game Designers of Australia on Facebook. I think we'll probably have it in the show notes in, in the YouTube thread at some point. So if you are an Australian designer and haven't heard about us yet, you can find us all there. Welcome to the community when you get here. A um, couple of things for me. Monstrous is shortly going to get sent off to the printer, and I'm very excited about that. It will be delivering a little bit late, but it'll be coming uh, early in the new year, and then it'll be in retail around the world um, soon after that. And we will have an expansion for it featuring a giant Kraken and a whole bunch of other oh, legendary monsters. Oh, that thing's monsters. awesome. The Kraken is awesome. I love that yeah, thing. Yeah, we did a, a nine-card Kraken, so you get a central Kraken head and a whole bunch of other Kraken tentacle cards that you all throw all over the table and smash everything up. So, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, look forward to that. So there'll be another Kickstarter campaign for that later on. Uh, and there's a bunch of other Australian games on Kickstarter right now. Uh, Burger Up, uh, Dreary, Hamlet, and uh, yeah, a couple of others. So check them out. It's, it's not Dreary, Hamlet, like a place that's dreary. It's Dreary and Hamlet? Dreary, Hamlet, yeah. Okay, excellent. Uh, and Tyler would like to sing a song for you, I think. I come from the land down under. Let me die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank and on you. that, thank I, you. I think our sound is actually dead on uh, my sound, my um, sound flower, which is what transfers the sound from my video over to this feed. So I'll have to work on that. So there's not going to be a song today. Sorry, well, except for Tyler's wonderful singing. But on that note, I'd like to say goodbye to everybody. Thanks very much for watching. All our guests and our YouTube friends and thanks Tim for coming on and Tyler for hosting as well and we'll see you guys all next week when uh, Daryl should be back I believe. He's at BGGCon some some convention down in Texas. I don't know. 90% of the game world's there except us five and yeah. <laughs> people watching. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, yeah. can't believe Daryl wasn't there to see that I have the maple syrup shirt. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Just stand up a little bit there Tim. Oh, there you go. 
Yeah. So do we get one of those? Do we it's get not one? an official shirt. It's actually from <laughs> a company cunts. that they made a shirt that just happened to be the name of our show, which was very <laughs> funny. So and they tweeted it out, and I bought one. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, so we'll see you guys all later. Thanks very much for watching the show. Thanks, guys. All right, bye.